0: to The Wicket. Hello and welcome to The Wicket, a podcast from Arab News looking at the world of cricket locally in the Gulf, regionally across Asia and worldwide. I'm Brian Murgatroyd and with me as ever to pick over events across the globe are Arab News columnist John Pike and Arab News cricket reporter Sebash Hummergain. Hello gentlemen. Hello, hello Brian. Hello Brian, hello Zon. And in this episode, we'll be talking about the end of the India-Australia women's series that's covered all three formats with Australia triumphant again in the T20Is to follow on from their series win in the One Day Internationals. And we'll also talk about the controversial second test between South Africa and India in Cape Town that took less than two days with India winning by seven wickets. We wrap up the Australia-Pakistan Test Series, which concluded with an eight-wicket win for Australia in Sydney to seal the series 3-0. We reflect upon the start of Zimbabwe men's white ball tour of Sri Lanka. We look ahead to the India men's T20i series against Afghanistan. We chat about the ICC awards nominations that have been announced and we assess the draw for the group stage of the ICC Men's T20 World Cup. So, as ever, plenty to get through, so let's get cracking. Let's start off with the conclusion of what's been a topsy-turvy series across the three formats between India and Australia women's sides. India won the test between the teams just before Christmas comfortably by eight wickets, before Australia bounced back to win the One Day International Series 3-0. Now, in the 2020 internationals that have wrapped up the tour, Australia have again come out on top. India won the first match with a crushing victory by nine wickets and more than two overs in hand. Shafali Verma returned to form with an unbeaten 64, while uh, Titus uh, Sadhu... Who was a player of the match in last January's ICC Under 19 Cricket World Cup final against England? She took four for 17. In match two, Australia hit back with a six wicket win with an over to spare as Elise Perry, in her 300th match for her country, made 34 not out from 21 balls to seal the win. Then, in the decider, Australia successfully chased India's 147 for 6 winning by seven wickets with eight balls to spare, thanks in large part to Alyssa Healy and Beth Mooney, adding 85 for the first wicket in ten overs. Subhash, after match two, Dipti Sharma said that despite that loss, India felt they were close to a series win against Australia – but you know what? After uh, match three, they're still waiting. What went wrong this time, do you think?
1: Indeed, I think Dipti's claim uh, was true. Uh, India were there in the competition, but uh, I think they are a bit far. They have to be consistent to get the result against best in the business. And that should come across all three departments. Uh, the team has performed as unit, but uh, Australia, they take the competition to another level just when they feel like they're levelling the field There has been competitive matches, but Australia has produced multiple match-winning performances. The individuals, they have stepped up, but uh, India, they've come in bits and
0: pieces. And I think they still need a proper finisher uh, in both both the departments. John, a word on Elise Perry. Passing 300 matches and counting is a monumental achievement and she still seems to have uh, plenty of fire left in the belly and a desire to press on.
2: Yeah, monumental is an appropriate description. The first Australian woman to do so. I think we should all be pleased that cricket got her rather than soccer when she was 16. We also need to remember she hasn't always held down a place in the T20 side. Indeed, she didn't uh, play a single match at the Commonwealth Games in 2022 and after that uh, she changed her approach and, and went up a gear which isn't easy. Uh now she's nominated for the ICC's T20I cricketer of the year 23 and an interesting stat is that since December 2020 she's hit 22 sixes in T20Is the most by any woman in the format and remarkably before that she only hit 23 sixes in 14 years in the format. At, at 2033, um, she's still finding cricket motivating and enjoyable. And she says that for as long as I can contribute to the team, I'd love to be here. She's endured and she's
0: evolved. Sebash, that performance by Shafali Verma in match two underlines her value to the side and the importance of her being in form. But she struggled with that this season, hasn't she?
1: I think for me, Safali adds much more than runs in the team. Uh, reminds me of Virendra Sehwag in late 2000s for India. I think she'll set the tone with a brisk start. And if she gets going, I think she has the capacity to take the game away from the opposition. But uh, along with that, she has temperament if needed to hold the innings as well, which we saw in Test cricket uh, just last week. A uh, good thing for India is he has got the rumours in the last two matches. And I think even if she fails uh, up top, I think there are players
0: like uh, Smriti and Harman who can stage up the innings uh, going forward. John, where does this series leave the two sides ahead of the ICC T20 World Cup in Bangladesh later this year? Are they clear on where they stand, do you think? Or are there plenty of questions still to answer?
2: As, uh, as Perry's done and evolved, I think the Australian team is evolving in front of our eyes. I think we've now got Litchfield, Gardner and Sutherland as class performers. I think they're looking pretty settled and um, very, very strong. I think India's got issues to resolve. They've got the talent. I think have got to work out how to gel and, and win um, critical moments. Of course, what we don't know is how teams are going to adjust to uh, the wickets they're going to find in Bangladesh.
0: Australia now head home, but there's no time for rest for them. And they're back on the horse very quickly with a series against South Africa across all three formats, starting with a 2020 international series that begins in Canberra on January the 27th. India's tour of South Africa wrapped up with a New Year's test in Cape Town, and what a remarkable match it was. India won it by seven wickets to share the two-match series 1-1. What was remarkable was that the match lasted just about five sessions rather than the five days scheduled, and it was the shortest test with a positive result in terms of balls bowled, just 642 needed for that Indian win. South Africa was skittled for just 55 before lunch, then India later lost six wickets without a run being scored and were bowled out for 153. South Africa managed to set India 79 to win in the fourth innings, thanks largely to Aidan Markram's 106 from 103 balls, the only individual score over 50 in the whole match, and India knocked the runs off in 12 overs. John, I think everyone accepted that the ground staff got the preparation of this test pitch disastrously wrong. It was a pacey surface. The bounce was a little uneven. And with the quality of fast bowlers on both sides, it made a lottery really for batters of
2: both teams, didn't it? It certainly did. Um, Chris Broad, of course, a match referee, rather cautiously to him, I thought, Some reported that the ball bounced quickly and sometimes alarmingly making it difficult to play shots. A bit of an understatement, really. The wicket has been deemed unsatisfactory, one demerit point. It's really a shame you can't really make any excuse for not preparing a proper wicket at Newlands.
0: Sebash, what about Aidan Markram's innings in the context of the match, It has to be one of the most remarkable performances of all time, doesn't it?
1: Well, he was the lone warrior in the middle for home team. Uh, He knew he couldn't just hold back, uh, so he took the risks by playing big shots. And he ran out of partners. I think he went on fighting, he'd be proud. But I think the pitch condition and other contributions among the team speaks more about the impact. Uh, The way Rohit reacted after that dismissal. That speaks a lot about how frustrated India were with his innings. I stayed almost uh, until the end. uh, Everybody knew that the pitch, uh, even though he played almost half the innings, uh, he had censure at the end. Uh, He will remember this, but uh, for all the wrong reasons.
0: John, it was fascinating to hear India captain Rohit Sharma afterwards saying he felt there was double standards in criticism of pitches and that if uh, a test pitch in India had produced a finish so quick, especially if the pitch off had helped the spinners, then the criticism would have been extremely loud. Is he spot on or has he actually missed the point? Because no one that I heard had anything but criticism for this Cape Town surface or thought it was in any way acceptable.
2: I think I'd put uh, his comments in the category of opportunism and probably a swipe at Chris Broad, uh, with whom you know he has form, I think. By all accounts, Western Province Cricket Association has internal issues. I think they include uh, financing issues uh, on redevelopment, resulting in debt. Apparently, this has resulted in the outsourcing of services, including curating. And I understand that this was the first test wicket prepared by the contracted curator. And for me, this is symptomatic of a, a deeper under-the-surface malaise, a focus on pitches for T20 rather than test cricket, short-termism over long-termism. Don't forget that Centurion, uh, for the first test, was not a great wicket either. Sebastian, it certainly produced
0: exciting cricket, but surely this type of test match is, is no good for anyone, is it? it? It devalues the format, it upsets the broadcasters who want five days of cricket, and it short the fans who may have bought tickets for the unused days.
1: Exactly, Brian. I don't see the positive side of setting up such a scenario. Even more when the future of format is up in the air, the fans want competitive cricket. But not this kind of competition where the struggle is to save wickets. And to save wickets for wrong reasons. Uh, We are seeing day five pitches in the first day. Imagine having 23 wickets in day one. I think it it, it explains the disaster, what we were seeing. And to have India losing six wickets for no runs, uh, I think... uh, Thanks to the top three batters of the world, I think, uh, if not for them, I think we would have seen a farcical uh, innings from India. And uh, the inning, the runs that we saw were uh, a result of the individual brilliance of these batsmen. Uh, we have had such pitches in the past, but uh, nowhere closer to this one. I think we, we saw one-fourth of a match uh, producing a result, and that's not what the identity of test cricket is.
0: Well, South Africa are now starting the SA20, their domestic T20 franchise tournament, as well as having that test tour to New Zealand with an understrength squad that we've spoken about in the previous podcast. While India, they're all set for a T20i series against Afghanistan as part of their preparations for the ICC T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the USA later this year. Let's talk now about Australia against Pakistan. And David Warner got his glorious test send-off in Sydney as Australia wrapped up the third test against Pakistan by eight wickets with a day to spare, and they sealed the series 3-0 as a result. Warner made 57 in the run chase as Australia having trailed by 14 on first innings. Howard ahead in the second half of the match. They rolled Pakistan over for just 115 second time round with at one stage Josh Hazelwood taking three wickets in one over at the back end of day three. John, Pat Cummins was player of the series with 19 wickets and what an effort it was from him with another five-wicket haul, his third in succession in the first innings in Sydney. A remarkable performance. He goes
2: from strength to
0: strength, doesn't
2: he? He does. He's in superb form, possibly the best of his career.
0: But I guess as well, John, there was a case to be made for Mitch Marsh being player of the series. I think in five innings he played, he had four half centuries, he made important contributions with the ball and he caught superbly in the cordon. So all of a sudden from what 12 months ago when he wasn't mentioned, uh, all of a sudden now he's, uh, he's popped up again, hasn't he?
2: He has. Um, he's had a very good uh, 2023, 20, um, and very few would have um, I think, uh, forecast that. It does highlight cricket's rather capricious nature. Green, by contrast, had a, a very difficult year. During that, he revealed he has uh, health issues, a chronic kidney condition from a young age. But it does look like the Australian team and management rate him, and who wouldn't, and want him in the team in some role. Sebastian Pakistan controversially left out fast bowler Shaheen
0: Shah Afridi from the starting 11 after he'd complained of feeling sore. In one sense, that seems fair enough, as he bowled more overs in the previous two tests than anyone else managed in three. But was it fair enough, uh, given he's uh, T20I uh, captain, they've got a series against New Zealand to follow, and there's a T20 World Cup uh, after that, or... Should we listen to the conspiracy theorists in Pakistan who've railed against the decision? What do you think?
1: To be honest, even I was surprised to see him not in the lineup, but uh, even more surprised with the reaction in social media regarding his omission. I think uh, the reaction was a bit overboard and unexpected with the reason science Afridi himself gave. I think for me, the management, they were right to rest him, considering his future commitments, uh, the performance he has been delivering. Uh, he was never up to the best in this series. We've seen him struggling to get the pace that he's famous for. Uh, I think it was only ideal thing to rest him for the final test, which had very little significance with series already gone. Uh, we've seen Pakistan failing to manage the workloads with these talents in the past. And when they actually try to maintain that, I think they've been facing harsh criticisms and even more so with the World Cup uh, performance uh, and even in the Asia Cup, I think they hurried with Nassim Sa and uh, Sahin Sa. I think they were right to arrest him and not have a risk of
0: losing him for the business end of the T20 World Cup. Sebash, it's not all doom and gloom for Pakistan. Yes, it was a 3 0 series loss, but Mohammad Rizwan showed his value in the last two tests after being left out in match one in Perth, while uh, Amir Jamal has been the breakout star of the tour, really, hasn't he? 18 wickets and a blazing 82 in the final test. He's played four T20Is before the tour and is 27 years old. But uh, is it fair to call him an overnight test sensation? I'd not call him sensation just
1: as of now, but I would say he certainly showed his skills. He had to do it the hard way the long run. Uh, he can be that handy all-rounder. Pakistan has been looking for a pace bowler who can ball full quota as well as Bat Will Downer, this uh, will balance out the bowling duties as well. Uh, he had to come in the team hard way, but I think he's impressed with the opportunities he has. And I feel he's here to stay for a long time, playing such innings against Australia, in Australia, uh, being pick of the baseballers, being the new one in the squad. I think he's shown the promise and uh, I think uh,
0: Pakistan will back him for a long time. John, Australia now face the task of finding a replacement for David Warner at the top of the order for the first West Indies test that starts on January the 17th. And the selectors have hung their hats on Steve Smith moving up the order. He's now going to open the innings. And uh, also it means that Cameron Green is going to come back into the side and he's going to bat at number four. That, of course, means there's no place in the starting 11 for Marcus Harris, Cameron Bancroft or Matt Renshaw, although Renshaw has been selected as the reserve batter. Uh, Are you surprised by any of that?
2: Yes, my instinct would have been to pick a specialist opener. I mean, Bancroft's been a leading run scorer in the Sheffield Shield, I think, in the last two years. Warner, of course, gave his view, I think, favouring Harris. Obviously, they want Green in the team. I'm not sure that Smith's technique at this stage of his career to be suited to opening. You mentioned uh, that although Renshaw is a reserve, it is a slap in the face, if not worse, for the specialists. In Bancroft's case, it's difficult to see how he's ever going to get back into the team. And um, quite rightly, uh, uh, Western Australians are pretty aggrieved at this decision.
0: Sebash, although the series finished 3-0, Pakistan were in every match. Is the margin between the two sides as simple as what well, the absence of pace bowling support, especially Nazim Shah, which we've spoken about previously, of course, the failure of Baba Azam to deliver big scores and also the catching? Or more, <laughs> or more honestly, the dropped catching by Pakistan. It should be a mix of all
1: three, but especially the fielding side. I think you have to take your catches in these matches where margin of error is very very slim. You're playing against Australia and dropping that too many catches. I think it's hard to pin down Australia at home, anyways, and giving them some such opportunities under pressure. I think that's hard to overcome. Uh, regarding pace attack, I think having Nasim and Rohf would have be- helped them. Nassim is out injured, but I think Rauf, uh, they missed him big time with uh, other bowlers, uh, especially struggling to get it over 140 k especially we see Rauf uh, playing in Australia. Uh, he would have been a handy o- option for them, but I think uh, not having Rauf, I think Amir Jamal would not have been around, not getting that opportunity. So something good following something bad here. Eh? And with Babar, I think uh, no half century in six innings from your top batter isn't going to help you at all. Of Poor World Cup performance, stripped of captaincy. I think the pressure is over Babur. And
0: if if, if
1: he doesn't overcome this sooner, uh, there's going to be much more struggle.
0: Well, the first test between Australia and the West Indies is the first of two matches in that format, although it's followed by uh, white ball matches as well. Pakistan's first of five 2020 internationals against New Zealand is due to take place on January the 12th. At the time of recording, we're two matches into Zimbabwe's white ball tour of Sri Lanka. The first match was abandoned because of rain with Sri Lanka well and truly on top with Zimbabwe 12 for two, chasing 274. But in match two, we had a thriller with Sri Lanka winning by two wickets, chasing 209 to win. Janeth Lianagay held the side together with 95. But when he was eighth out, there were still 47 runs to get. And Dushmantha Chamira and Geoffrey Vandersay got them. And that was tough on Richard Ngarava, who bowled with real pace and aggression to take five for 32. Subhash, once again, as has been the case so often in the recent past, Sri Lanka's bowlers have been the ones to lead the side across the line, but this time they did it with the bat as well as the ball.
1: Yeah, we can see that from Sri Lanka's end, but uh, what an opportunity was that for Zimbabwe, a big miss. I think if not for that poor spell of bowling, uh, they could have saved that score. Batting-wise, we expected the struggle from Zimbabwe, but uh, after Nankara's fiery opening spell, they could have and should have gone across the finish line. Credit to Sri Lanka's bowling unit for saving the match. I think they were fantastic playing with the situation. It was near about runnable at the time, but uh, they held on to the innings, attacked the baller as well. But uh, Zimbabwe, I think they should be worried about their luck running out, especially 209. You had the match in grasp, 47 odd runs to get the last two wickets you still end up on losing side. I think Sri Lanka ended up lucky in this one.
0: John, after the failure to qualify for the ICC Cricket World Cup, do you see any green shoots of recovery for Zimbabwe in the 50-over format or is it simply too early to judge? Is the sample size too small?
2: Yes, I think it is too small. Um, but there's a ray of hope in Craig Irvine's 82 and McGrava's uh, performance.
0: The ball. There's one more One Day International to come, plus a three match 2020 International Series as well. And we'll chat about that action in our next episode. We've mentioned already about India facing Afghanistan in a 2020 International Series that forms part of both teams' preparations for this year's ICC Men's T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the USA. And uh, we'll chat about the on-field action in our next episode. But ahead of the series were a couple of talking points for us to pick up on. The first of which is uh, Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli, both selected in India's squad. They're two of India's greats, but with the new generation coming through off the back of IPL exposure, there have been questions in the India media about whether both should feature in India's best 11. Specifically, does Rohit go hard enough after the power play, if he's still there? And does Virat go hard enough, especially against spin, in the middle overs? What's your take on it, sebash
1: Well, they are face of Indian cricket even now in the world and inside the country. But uh, I'd like to see India taking decisions like they did in 2007. I think Tendulkar sat out of the T20s. He knew the game was not for him. Uh, Rohit and Kohli are players for the format uh, still now, but i not sure they're starters just yet. Uh, I'd have them around the team in during the IPL, then see where they can contribute to the team and carry things forward. Uh, about Rohit, I think uh, there has been a lot of debate around his captaincy with Mumbai Indians, where, whether he, what mental state will he be in, how can he contribute to the team. I think that will speak a lot. Uh, if, if he can't perform in the IPL itself, I think... Uh, it's going to diminish his chances to get go into the World Cup. And Kohli, with the rejuvenation in his form, we've seen, and the way he plays, I think uh, he's still the man for India to play in that number three or number four spot. He can uh, co- cover himself with the situation. I think uh, playing the spin in the middle overs that has been talk of the town recently. But uh, I think Kohli is in top form. We saw him in the ODI World Cup as well, uh, and RCB are going to count. him in. Mean, for this season as well. So I think uh, Kohli still is the man for India.
0: John, peace seems to have broken out in the Afghanistan camp ahead of the series with the Afghanistan Cricket Board apparently reaching agreement with three players it earlier disciplined for looking at franchise options ahead of national duty. That's Faisal Haq Faruqi, Naveen Ul Haq and Mujib Ureman. They've now been promised a limited number of no-objection certificates uh, will receive central contracts, but have also received a financial penalty for the dispute. What do you make of it all?
2: It has a flavour of a naughty schoolboy syndrome. Slap on the wrist of your starboys, some wise counsel leading to a compromise and some contrite statements. You go and earn some money, but when we allow you to do so? And at least it heads off the possibility of unilateral action by the players and quite possibly a major international incident.
0: The matches in this T20i series are in Mohali, Indore and Bengaluru on the 11th, 14th and 17th of January. And we'll chat about them in more detail in the next episode. Well, it's awards season in Hollywood with the Golden Globes handed out recently stateside. And it's awards season in cricket too, as the nominees for nine categories in the ICC Awards for the year 2023 have also been announced. Those categories are the Men's Cricketer of the Year, Women's Cricketer of the Year, Men's Test Cricketer of the Year and across both men and women, the ODI, T20I and Emerging Cricketers of the Year. Nominated for the major prizes, the Women's and Men's Cricketer of the Year, who collect the Rachel Hayhoe Flint and Sir Garfield Sobers trophies, respectively, are Chamari Atapattu of Sri Lanka, Australia's Ashley Gardner and Beth Mooney, and Nat Siva Brunt of England among the women, and Pat Cummins and Travis Head of Australia, plus Virat Kohli and Ravindra Jadeja for India for the Men. The nominees for the men's T20I cricketer of the year include Alpash Ramjani of Uganda, due recognition for his efforts in helping his country reach their first ever ICC T20 World Cup, while Scotland's Darcy Carter gets a nomination in the women's emerging category. John, what jumps out at you from the nominations that have been released, apart from obviously Ratchin Ravindra getting a nod?
2: in the men's emerging player
0: category, uh, of course. Anything else stand out for you?
2: Um, well, it caught me any doubt on the um, Ravindra one. If you like uninhibited, free-flowing cover drives and imperious six-hitting over mid-wicket, now there's only one winner for me. Other than that, the others that stand out are Ashley Gardner, Haley Matthews and-, and Mark Chapman. Looking at the um, the performances by Gardner over 2023 and also by by Matthews, who's um, posted some big scores, I think they've gone under the radar a bit and it's good to see that they, they're they being recognised uh, by those nominations. And um, Chapman, I haven't really seen much of before, uh, before this year and he's um, slowly, I think, making his mark in the New Zealand team, which is you know, being reshaped in front of our eyes.
0: Sebastian. Marufa Akhtar, the 19-year-old seam Bowler, has received a nomination for Bangladesh as an emerging talent but surely it'll be tough for her to finish ahead of Phoebe Litchfield of Australia, who did so well recently in the One Day International Series in India, as well as Lauren Bell of England. Or do you think she or Darcy Carter have a genuine chance of collecting the award? Uh, I think Marufa has been excellent uh, getting the new blood into the
1: side. They've given. Getting the results, she's consistently performing, even though the numbers are there, not there to show for. I think she's uh, bowling well and uh, being part of the team. Uh, but uh, it's hard for her to get over Phoebe, who's been excellent in that uh, dominant Australian team. She's been getting the runs as well. Uh, it's a, it's even match-up between all four, but I think Phoebe will take this away.
0: John, who are your favourites for the major individual awards, the men's and women's cricketers of the year, and why?
2: Well, for me, Pat Cummins, for fairly obvious reasons, not only uh, leadership, the, uh, the trophies that uh, Australia have picked up un- under that leadership. Well, so I think there might have been questions about does he deserve it uh, for playing performances alongside the leadership performances. I think the way he's uh, rounded off uh, 2023 sort of caps a decision off for me. I mean, you think, how can he possibly go better than 2023? The... The women's one is a tough call. We know that uh, uh, Natalie is a a pure class act. Uh, We know that Shamari has excelled at T20 and and leadership. Moon is just a run machine. But for me, Gardner's done it across formats in a rather undersung way. She seems to be getting better consistently with both bat and ball. And the performance in the Test match, of course, at at Trent Bridge was outstanding. And she's now somebody to look to, to um, not only tie an end down for for a long time, but also take wickets. So, she'd be my suggestion.
0: And Subhash?
1: I think Travis Hitch takes it away for the Men's Cricketer of the Year. Uh, He's got the career back on track. The World Cup, especially, Uh, he won it for for the Australian team, especially in the business end of the tournament. Uh, he takes the men's cricketer. And for women's, it has to be Samaria Atapatu. Uh, her performance with Sri Lankan team, even though they didn't get the result, uh, her individual performance was at the best that we can see in the women's cricket. And along with that, she got some franchise tournaments as well. So I think uh, it's uh, Atapatu and Travis
0: said for me. Well, these awards are voted for by a panel of ex-players and media, but there's also the chance for the public to vote through the ICC website and app although their votes are weighted to make it harder for mass votes from any group of supporters to skew the result. There are also a raft of teams of the year that will be announced, plus Associate Men's and Women's Players of the Year, the Umpire of the Year and the Spirit of Cricket Award too. and they'll all come out at the back end of January. Since our previous podcast... The groups and the schedule for the ICC T20 Men's World Cup that will take place in the Caribbean and the USA later this year have been announced. There are 20 teams, the most ever, and they've been divided up into four groups, with the top two teams from each group going through to the next stage. Group A is India, Pakistan, Ireland, Canada, and the USA. Group B is England, Australia, Namibia, Scotland, and Oman. Group C is made up of New Zealand, the West Indies, Afghanistan, Uganda, and Papua New Guinea. And Group D is South Africa, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, the Netherlands and Nepal. The headlines, I guess, are that Dallas will host the opener between the USA and Canada. That's the oldest sporting rivalry in world cricket. It uh, predates even the Ashes, uh, believe it or not. And that's on Saturday, the 1st of June. Co-hosts, the West Indies, will play their group matches in Guyana, Trinidad and Tobago and St Lucia. India and Pakistan will face each other in New York on Sunday the 9th of June. Defending Champions England, they're in the same group as 2021 Champions Australia. And Barbados, that will host the ICC Men's T20 World Cup 2024 final. That's on Saturday the 29th of June. John, of the full members in the tournament, you have to say... That England, Australia, India, and Pakistan do have good-looking draws, don't they?
2: They do. In the case of uh, England and Australia, um, they are the only two four members. Uh, the other three groups the, have got um, three four members on in them. Uh, India and Pakistan drawn together—a uh, interesting test for for Ireland. Uh, was a shootout for them. I'm not sure how the groups were drawn, but I guess it was always going to be the case that it's going to be a bit a uh, bit lopsided because uh, the extra numbers and the format that's been um, been chosen.
0: sebash it appears Nepal is in what you might call a group of death with three full members plus the Netherlands, who beat South Africa in the previous edition of the tournament. That's uh, not a very good draw for Nepal, is it?
1: Brian, if you ask me personally, I am very happy with the draw. I'd have these teams around uh, rather than having big fish like India, Pakistan, Australia, or even New Zealand in, in the same group. I think uh, if you ask me, I see a real possibility of Nepal getting better results rather than having look at the other group. Uh, the good thing is Nepal is playing two matches in USA, which could have environment like having a home match. We've seen that in the past during the USA Tour. And we were playing Netherlands in the first match. I think if we can set the tone with that match, uh, I'm very optimistic about
0: having a little chance uh, rather than having big fishes in the other groups. Sebastian, I like your positivity. That's uh, fantastic. Well, remember, the previous edition of the tournament was played in Australia at the back end of 2022 with Joss Butler's England side securing their second title to go with the one England won in the Caribbean Back in 2010, England really struggled with their defence of the 50-over World Cup. How will they get on in the 20-over version of the game? Well, that will all be revealed later on in the year. Finally, a little bit of a change from us uh, this week. Normally, we look uh, ahead to what the Cricket Week holds in store, but uh, this time we've decided to look back and uh, Sebash what's been your highlight of the past 7 days
1: has to be David Warner's farewell i think uh, it was set up for him and the Occasion itself, I think uh, he got a good send-off. He was a good servant of the game, and the words from his peers, I think, that was enough to see how he contributed to the game, and especially Test cricket. Uh, Stuart Broad's piece on him, I think, uh, that was very special for the battles they have had during the years. Uh, so it has to be David Warner's farewell.
0: And John, what's your uh, your highlight of the past week?
2: Well our hugely talented pantomime character, Shakib al-Hassan. He was elected to parliament in Bangladesh with, wait for it, 150,000 majority. He took a break from cricket and was injured in the World Cup in that infamous match with uh, Angelo Matthews being timed out. Uh, after the... Uh, The victory, this is the parliamentary victory, was asked if he would be able to balance his duties as a lawmaker and a cricket captain. And he responded with, did I retire? If I haven't retired, then where does this question come from? So as ever, uh, with him, it's very spiky stuff.
0: Well, thanks for joining us at The Wicket. And we'll be back soon with more cricket chat from the Gulf region, Asia and worldwide. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment on what you've heard wherever you get your podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature in future episodes. For now though, this is Brian Murgatroyd along with John Pike and Sebastian Hummergain saying thank you very much indeed for listening and we look forward to your company next time.